Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Award-winning filmmaker Emmett Adler's feature documentary film End of the Line is a character-driven political drama about the New York City subway crisis and a long-overdue reckoning on infrastructure, establishing the vital economic importance and the grandeur of New York City's historic subway system. The film delves into the dire modern-day troubles picking up in the late 1910s when flooding, overcrowding, power failures, and derailments have become commonplace. We're joined today by the director of End of the Line, and that would be Emmett Adler. Emmett, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much. I love New York City, as I mentioned to you before we got started, and I was so enamored with being able to hop on a subway car and be able to be transported anywhere in the greater New York City area was an amazing experience, one that as someone who's lived in the LA basin for my entire life, it was another world. It was an amazing experience. And I think New York should take pride in the subway system that it has built. But this film is about that and more. Tell me what inspired you to to make this documentary film end of the line. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I moved to New York in 2010 and I never owned a car when I was there. And, um, you know, so the subway was my lifeline for my whole lifestyle, any time of day, going to work, coming home, socially, going out, whatever it might be. I was inspired to make this film when like a a local crisis within the subway system threatened to uproot my life. I was living in Brooklyn, which, you know, if you know a little bit about New York, you need to travel via tunnel or bridge to get to Manhattan. I used the tunnel every day back and forth to get to work in Manhattan. Um, They were gonna sever this line from the central hub of Manhattan, which was something that was gonna impact ridership that was about the population of like Richmond, Virginia. It was like 400,000 people who use that. So it was an unthinkable crisis that's hard to even vocalize to a non-New York, non-subway riding audience. You know, I was going to have to leave my home as a result of this. And I looked around the neighborhood that I loved and I realized that it was going to choke out these businesses. And I started going to like community board meetings with my camera and talking to business owners. Simultaneously, the entire subway system started to collapse. And that's when the derailments and the power failures started happening. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, the former governor, was the big boss in town at the time. And he had a lot of power struggles and conflicts that we became aware of that involved the subway. And we pursued those stories and it became very dramatic and surprising. And then the pandemic happened and the subway was a big factor in moving essential workers and was blamed for at one point spreading the disease. And that became just a huge story. and. We just kept on going from 2016 to 2021, you know, capturing the goings on and and, um, creating a cinematic product from that. And was there a general recognition in 2015 and 2016 that the subway system was 
in a state of se- severe decline. Wasn't just yeah. didn't look like from what I saw in the film and from my own personal experience, it was something that would have crept up on people. It would have been something that they had probably been dealing with and making adjustments in all kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. Was it a widespread perception that there was something needed to be done with the subway system? Yeah, I mean, our film kind of picks up like right before uh, the governor declared a state of emergency. So that was the watershed moment was like a derailment that injured like 30 people. It's very much like the frog in the boiling pot where the frog doesn't realize the water is boiling until it dies in, in the chef's pot. But so that was like, I think the subway was slowing down. People were frustrated. And then suddenly trains derail. And when trains derail there needs to be answers because that's very serious and people get really injured and people can die and it's happened before. And so then the governor had to answer for it. He responded by declaring a state of emergency. The situation continued to decline. He couldn't immediately fix decades of decline and and deferred maintenance in the subway. In January of 2018, the New York subway posted the worst on-time performance of any major rapid transit system worldwide, which was also a watershed moment and just a damning statistic. You know, New York prides itself on being the most affluent city in the world, but its trains were running at about, I think, 58% of the time your train would show up on time at that point. So people were aware at that point, it started grabbing headlines on the cover of the New York Times. That was a big moment. That uh, tunnel that you described, uh, earlier was the L train. Is that, do I have that correct? And yes. in the film, not only by your own words, but in the film, it is, uh, it's a huge deal. Yeah. And anyone who spent any time in New York City would recognize any kind of disruption, let alone something as critically important as moving people from one of the major boroughs into Manhattan would be a, a huge disruption. Uh, before we get too far into the sort of the granular level of the story, I think it's important to point out that while this is about New York, it's about the subway system in New York City, the bigger picture that your film is really about for me is that we have in this country for decades and decades neglected our our infrastructure. And obviously, subway system is a huge part of the New York infrastructure. But all around the country, we have not really done any major work to essentially rehabilitate and or build new infrastructure since the New Deal, Mm -hmm. since Eisenhower's highway system. Mm -hmm. That is now we're looking at 70 years of since anything significant has been done across the country. And as a major industrial power, the major industrial power in the world is like we like to think of ourselves. This is absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's definitely what the film is largely about. You know, this is a case study in how American democracy manages its infrastructure and the point that we find ourselves in. And I think, you know, from the New York subway system to the California bullet train to just famous bridges collapsing that have occurred during the same time period across the country, politicians in America get big time kudos for building something new, but they don't get, you know, much by their estimation for maintaining what we have. You know, maintenance isn't sexy, as John Sirico, our New York Times journalist, says, and it's a it's a big problem. And now, you know, the Biden administration has passed 
a historic package to repair America's infrastructure uh, package, an amount of money that was unimaginable when we were making the film and, and calling for this type of investment. And so, you know, there is maybe reason to be optimistic um, despite, you know, the variety of problems that we're dealing with today that we weren't dealing with then. But, um, you know, now we'll just wait and see how the money is dispersed and, and we're on the brink of a moment that I think Americans and historians will be looking back on 50, 100 years from now as like that was, you know, now the way we talk about FDR's New Deal. And I, I just it's in the film and I think it's important to point out we are the only the only major industrial nation on the planet that does not yet have high speed rail. I'm, right. I mean, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know. Of, and I just don't know of another country. And when you look at places like China and Japan and and Europe, all of them have trains that go to 300 miles an hour. And we're still literally in the horse and buggy era of train travel. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's a lot of the reason why abroad, you know, train travel is taken a lot more seriously, because it's a lot more of a nicer way to travel because those trains move fast, get you where you're going, you know, I mean, the idea, if there was a train, again, the California bullet train, if you could go 200, 300 miles an hour between LA and San Francisco, that, that'd be a nice, easy commute. So, and the economic value of that is incredible. And they tried, they tried to do it in Florida during the Obama administration. And you had the then governor kind of like reject that federal plan, that federal money, because, you know, there's a politics about this that favors cars over transit. And, um, when you look at gas prices, it would be pretty nice if we could. That's exactly. Amass. Yeah. Imagine if we had high speed rail right now with gas yeah. prices here in California. Now it's seven, eight dollars a gallon. It, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't get on a train. There would be so many people using transit. That, well, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Emmett Adler. He is the director as well as the editor of this wonderful documentary film called End of the Line. It is about the New York uh, City subway system. And I love the way that you are able to draw in this political, personal drama into the film, which the impact of which really is felt in all of New York City. But uh, the major players in, in the game, if you will, now former Governor Mario Cuomo, yeah, now, now former Mayor Bill de Blasi, as well, uh, as, well as others. But to, and, and the hero, in my opinion, the hero of the film, Andy Byford, who came from Canada, of course, the Canadians are showing us the way here uh, to help try to rehabilitate the uh, subway system. Getting to know them, getting to spend time with them, all of them, but particularly with Andy Byford, um, that's the heart of the film for me uh, in terms of just the human drama, how it plays out in everyone's lives. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Andy Byford uh, was like a sort of a head down public servant type guy before he got to New York. Um, but he was also like the top transit executive in the West. It's just usually the top transit executive doesn't have this white hot light on them, you know, of the media. But when he arrived in New York because of the crisis scenario that New York was in and because of this charisma that it turned out that he had. He's actually originally a British guy, so he came in with his British accent by way of Toronto, where he had, you know, turned that system around and won this really 
uh, prestigious APTA Transit System of the Year Award. And so he comes in, but you know what he doesn't realize is this is Governor Cuomo's house at the time. You know, Cuomo was the big boss in New York. He called the shots. He was extremely domineering, belittled Mayor de Blasio on many occasions in New York City and, and dominated the scene. I think when Andy Byford started to get a lot of press attention, appeared on 60 Minutes and, and people were loving him and they nicknamed him Train Daddy, which we actually did not get to mention in the film, but that's his director's notes that he was nicknamed Train Daddy in New York. I think Cuomo started to feel threatened by him. Cuomo wanted the credit for turning around the subway system. And, and so ultimately they clashed. And part of what this film deals with is sort of the machinations of how Cuomo undermined Byford. And I think it's another common story where you have a politician, a public servant. At the time that I was editing this film, we were having this sort of apparent conflict between Dr. Fauci and President Trump playing out daily. And it was a, it's a similar situation in that you have someone who's a public servant who's a little bit at the mercy of a political overlord and how much that public servant talks and whether he's silenced or pushed aside or maligned. There's often that tension there, again, just common theme in our American political system. And that's very much kind of what played out here. As often happens with politicians, particularly male politicians, who's got the bigger microphone. That's yeah. really what matters. And that's kind of felt, felt like that's what mattered in this case, too. And it's yeah. a wonderful look. It's really to pull the curtain back and to understand it. And and again, my I have this undying affection for New York, the fact that it's able to operate every day in this just maelstrom of things that could happen there. It's an amazing experience. It's an amazing city. And this is a remarkable documentary, a look into uh, how it works and how it should work as well. So uh, Emmett Adler, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for end of the line and be looking for this. It will be available. Let me quickly get that out. It will be available. June 14th on Apple TV, uh, Amazon Prime Video, YouTube Vimeo, most of your major providers. Thank you. End of the line. If you Google it, you can follow us at end of line doc. Know the at end of line doc on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, if you want to get the updates. And uh, yeah, it's going to be out there. Thank so you I, so very much. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for end of the line. Thank you. Evan. Okay. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.